I'm Jeff Cohen. Growing up, Rachel Hewlin never knew the power of asking Hashem directly for help through prayer. She also didn't know her path to Jewish observance would involve marrying a non-Jew who converted. But after stops in Detroit, Miami, and Houston, Rachel and her husband found their way to Jewish Orthodoxy. She's here today to share her story, so let's get started. Rachel, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. And we have a lot of cities to get through and a husband to bring in the picture. But let's start at the beginning and just give our listeners a sense of where you were born and raised. I was born in Detroit. I grew up there, went to high school and graduated. And I went to University of Michigan for undergrad. And then I went to University of Miami for medical school. And that's where I met my husband. And it all went from there. All right, so let's let's back up a couple of details you just gave me. So growing up, how would you describe your family from a religious perspective? My family is Reformed Jewish for a few generations, culturally very Jewish, not very observant. There was a portion of my family that did become more religious when I was growing up, but that was a very different concept compared to what I had grown up with. Okay, so what were like some of the customs that your family was or wasn't doing like you were doing the holidays or what kind of things? Yeah, I mean, we went to synagogue for the high holidays. We had Passover seders. We celebrated Hanukkah. And I can remember lighting Shabbos candles here and there, but it wasn't like a fixed part of our week. But I definitely grew up uh, knowing I was Jewish. I went to uh, Hebrew school, Sunday school. I went all the way through Hebrew high school. So it was very much a part of my life growing up. Okay, but then you just also said a part of your family did become religious while you were growing up, like an aunt or an uncle, or, or who was it that started to do that? It was my dad's sister and her husband and family in their probably mid-30s when they uh, started becoming religious. It was a very challenging time for our family because now as someone who has gone through it myself, I can see the challenges of changing the way you do things and changing the way you interact and the way you celebrate things. And when everyone else isn't on that same page, it can create a lot of conflict. Okay, so let, let's keep your story going. You started getting into where you went to college and medical school. So what was the thought during those years of what you were going to become? I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor since I was a little kid. My father's a doctor, and I used to go on rounds with him to the hospital. And I just very much pictured myself doing that as a career. Ironically, what I do now is doesn't look anything like what he actually does because I'm a radiologist and I pretty much sit in a dark room and look at x-rays and MRIs all day by myself. Mm -hmm. But um, in any case, (laughs) you know, that's sort of where I was always heading. And Jewishly in college, I wasn't really engaged. I didn't go to Hillel. I would come home for holidays, but it wasn't really like a focal point of my college years. I always felt very connected to being Jewish and I always was a spiritual person, but I really wasn't into the practice in college. Just, I mean, added a million other things that were on my mind that had nothing to do with that. So I really wasn't involved as a college student. Got it. And this is like an important time for dating for people, those college years and grad school. But was it in your head that I want to marry someone Jewish? Was this like a priority or was it I just I want to find a good guy? No, I mean, I always wanted to marry someone Jewish. I dated someone for a long time in college that was Jewish. It really wasn't an option for me not to marry somebody Jewish. I don't know why it was really important to me, but it was really important to me. (laughs) 
Okay, so now comes the first curveball of the interview, because I mentioned in the introduction about marrying somebody who wasn't Jewish at the time. So how, how does this person come into the picture, and how does it fit with what you just said about marrying somebody Jewish? So I met my then-boyfriend, who at that time was known by Chris, which, you know, we joke, could you have had, a, like, a more, you know, <laughs> a, a more non-Jewish name? I mean, basically, you're, you know. Um, you know, I had just come out of a, a very long-term relationship that I was in when I was in college. So when I started dating him, I really just didn't think we were going to ever get married. I just, you know, was having a a light relationship. I was just starting medical school. It wasn't really something that I thought was going to go anywhere long term. So I thought, well, it really doesn't matter, you know, because this is not the person I'm going to marry anyway. Um, And of course, the joke's on me because (laughs) over time, I mean, I really fell in love with him and he's was, is a wonderful person and it was interesting because we both had the same viewpoint about raising a family which was that we didn't want to have a family with two religions we felt that it wasn't fair to children to ask them to choose which is basically choosing between their parents and we wanted to have a meaningful life and we felt that mixing things was almost degrading both sides as, as kind of like an either or, or like a buffet style. So I told him very early on, I mean, there was just about no way I was going to convert. I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't trying to be um, reasonable. It's just that it just wasn't in my realm of possibility. It just was so deep in my, in my being that there was just no way I wasn't always going to be Jewish. And he was like, well, I want to learn more about Judaism and let me see if this is something that I can consider. So really very on early on in our dating, we started talking about these things. I mean, I want to say six months in and we actually met with uh, my then reform rabbi and talked about some of these issues. And he suggested taking like a conversion class, which in reform Judaism is basically called like introduction to Judaism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you learn a little Hebrew, you learn about the holidays, you learn about Shabbat. And so we did that. We took the class together. We were in Miami, which actually was a big commitment at the time because we were both residents. And even though it was just once a week, I mean, it did show a big commitment on our part that it was an important thing to us. And he finished the class. And then it's hard for me to remember. It was such a long time ago, but at some point, we got engaged, and then he decided he was going to convert. But you mentioned earlier in the interview that you had family that was Jewish that became Orthodox. Right. Did they have an opinion on this conversion? And like, did you have any knowledge of the fact that, well, there's Reformed conversion, but that's like totally different than someone who would go through like an Orthodox conversion? Did you understand these levels at the time? Or did this family, like, did your family, extended family, sort of intervene at this point and say, well, that's great that he's becoming reformed, but do you know there's kind of more to this puzzle than you even understand? So at that point, my family was a little bit estranged. So I wasn't really seeing them a whole lot. And it's hard for me to remember all the details, but I know that there were a lot of ups and downs over the years between the different parts of my family. And they probably had feelings about it, but they never said anything. So during this whole time, I mentioned that we were residents. So my husband was, uh, he's a surgeon, and he was um, in the operating room they're waiting for a case to start and he's sitting in his scrubs and gown and gloves and whatever. And he's sitting in the corner reading a book called Introduction to Judaism in the OR. <laughs> so this uh, one of the surgeons who is a Orthodox Jew 
sees him and is like, what's going on over there? Why is, <laughs> why is Chris reading this book? You know? Uh-huh. So they got to talking and he explained, you know, kind of what was going on. And he, he says, oh, you, you and your girlfriend should come for Shabbos dinner. So he comes home and he tells me that the guy invited him for Shabbos dinner. And I know a little bit about them, you know. So I said, do you know what you just got invited to? You know, are you sure? <laughs> and I said, we can't bring any food. And we showed up and he opened the door in his black hat. And I believe now looking back that that dinner was an intervention. I think that they were trying to block an intermarriage because the night was very intense and they were very much talking to him about, you know, you need to do an Orthodox conversion. I really didn't understand the implications of a reform versus a Orthodox conversion. And they kind of separated us at one point and neighbors came over and they were talking to him in one corner. They were talking to me in one corner. And I remember I walked out of the dinner, we got in the car and I thought, he's done with me. I mean, there's no way after this, it's going forward. But, you know, he really felt at that time that he was accepting what he knew wholeheartedly and he did a conversion and we got married and I thought we were just going to go on and have this very typical sort of you know cultural Jewish life that I grew up with and that was going to be that I really didn't have any vision beyond that at that point so where do you now settle and do kids come into the picture at this point so at that point we were in Miami we lived there for medical school and residency so we were there for uh, the first good portion of our of our relationship. And, you know, we did what we thought we should do. We joined a reform temple there. And, you know, it was actually um, remarkable because most 20-somethings do not become affiliated with, you know, a temple or a synagogue. It's kind of a just a lull in membership. So, you know, we were gung-ho, we joined. I don't remember if we were lighting Shabbat candles or not at that point, but really into the holidays. We spent the first two years of our marriage just kind of ho-humming along. And then we did have our first child in Miami and we were there until she was two years old. And then we moved back to Detroit for our fellowships after residency. And then did you rejoin the Reformed Temple that you had grown up with at that point? So I did not. The Reformed Temple that I grew up at is at least at the time, and and may still be, it's the largest reform congregation in the country. And it was just a little bit too big for me. We wanted to go for high holidays with my family, but we ended up moving to a different part of town where there was a smaller reform congregation, and they had a nursery school. So we figured the kids would go, you know, our daughter would go to nursery school there, the neighborhood kids were going there. Um, so that just seemed like the more natural option. So, and in the end, I tried to go high holidays. They didn't want to give me tickets. It was a whole fiasco, which was also part of the turnoff is just the, the sort of disconnect that I felt there between the religious part and the business. And it was kind of a turnoff for me. So in the end, we, we stayed at our smaller congregation. So someone who's listening to the interview at this point is saying, wow, she really does sound like she's going to chug along as a reform secular Jew, but they know that that's not how your story ends. So there's always like this moment that something happens that your journey takes a little bit of a shift. So I'm getting the sense something happens in Detroit that kind of changes the trajectory of your Jewish journey. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, you know, we talk about there's no coincidences and the way it happened, it seems like a big coincidence, but 
by that time we had had another child. My son was born in Detroit. Uh, so my daughter was like in kindergarten-ish. She was going to Sunday school at the Reform Temple. It was really just kind of a big downer. Like there wasn't a lot of kids there. There wasn't a lot of energy. And my husband had been the one taking her back and forth. And he said, it just feels kind of like dead there. He's like, I just don't love it, you know. And we had really tried. I mean, I think there was a spark in both of us religiously. Um, we had really tried to connect with the congregation. And we were just kind of like trying to get water from a dry well. You know, we were trying to connect in a way that just wasn't realistic. But we didn't really understand what was missing. What was missing was like the whole richness of Torah observance, but we didn't know it at the time. And so a girlfriend of mine said, there's an open house. There's this religious school. uh, It's called Aish. And all the kids, they had do Sunday school and all the kids love going there. And there's an open house at so-and-so's house. And do you want to go with me to check it out? So it was like a Monday or a Tuesday night. I mean, I work. Weekday nights are a nightmare to try to go to things. Um, So I was kind of like noncommittal. And I said, if I can go, I'll go. If not, you know, I'm not going to show up. I'm either going to be there or I'm not. So in the end, I went. I met the rabbi uh, and his wife. They had a bunch of people there that had kids in the Sunday school and talked about their experiences. And the kids were so enthusiastic and they loved Judaism. They were learning so much. And um, I went home and I just said to my husband, yeah, we're just going to move. We're going to move her. Let's move her over there. The friend who mentioned the open house, was that friend religious and like it was a cure of thing or they were not religious, but just like this school, like academically? Right. So it's totally all cure of and nobody, only the rabbi and Robinson were religious in this whole group. My friend did end up sending her kids and was involved with Aish, but definitely didn't go to the extent that we ended up going with them. So it was a, it was basically a bunch of people I knew from the neighborhood who were all kind of secular reformed Jews who liked the Sunday school and wanted to send their kids there and maybe didn't have another place to go. It was kind of a catch-all for people who either had families that were affiliated for generations other places but wanted a place to send their kids. So they were kind of everybody was kind of one foot in one foot out in a way um or people it also attracted people that had been sort of out of the fray and were looking to reconnect. So it was really a group of non-religious families who were sending their kids to a cure of Sunday school, even though they didn't really realize that's what it was. So So also for you, because you said the impetus for this change was just not getting a good vibe from the school where your kids were. But then as you found this and, and liked it, did you understand, though, that it was being run by people who were Orthodox and that there could be like more to this? Or you just thought, wow, this school just seems like a better fit than the other one. I'm not even really thinking about the fact that there's different levels of observance where I was and where I'm going to change to. It was totally not not on my radar whatsoever. My rabbi, Semka Tolan, who you also interviewed, it was a wonderful interview. He introduces himself, I'm an Orthodox rabbi for non-Orthodox people. Like, okay, (laughs) we're good, you know? And he's a very outgoing and down-to-earth, relatable individual. So you don't really feel like you're getting roped into anything. And I mean, really, that wasn't their goal. I mean, their goal, as stated, was to make the kids love Judaism. And so that was a very appealing idea for me. I wanted them to love Judaism. And I I didn't see it as an agenda or even a possibility that this would have any effect on our level of religiosity at all. I just thought it was very energetic, positive, optimistic program. And I just, I wanted them to be part of that energy. 
having interviewed Simcha Tolan, like you just mentioned, I have to believe at some point he said, by the way, I have this Monday night class or something. Oh, Come check it out. Or there'd be some way to get the parents involved. So I'm, I'm assuming something like that starts to happen after a while. Right. So, I mean, again, I mean, this was a, this was some time ago. So what I kind of remember was going to Sunday school. They always had lunch after Sunday school and they made lunch, not just for the kids, but they invited the whole family. And that was a great, it was really a great model because that's a time when we all got to engage together. Parents parked their cars, they came in, and they had lunch with their kids and schmoozed and all that. So I had pretty much left the other place in the dust that I grew up at because it just, it was very much a performance, I felt, when I would go there. I mean, there's like boom mics and a hired choir. It was very much a fashion show and people would stand, like they would go into a, a row that they saved the entire row for their family. And then they wouldn't sit down because they wanted everyone to see what they were wearing and they wanted to see what everyone else was wearing. <laughs> you know, and then we all pray and then we go in the parking lot, everyone honks at each other. I mean, it was just the whole thing, just there was just a, a disconnect there. And so I was done with that. And the other place that we had joined was very lackluster. So I'm like, oh, this is great. We'll come here for high holidays. And it was fantastic. I mean, I got there five minutes before services. I had a place to sit. It was very warm. The service was very interactive. Like he would throw in little explanations in between the parts of the service. So, you know, even prayers that I knew since I was a kid, they didn't even really understand what I was saying. I was starting to understand and feel connected to. I think at that around that time, he started learning with my husband and they would learn. Uh-huh. Yeah, very early. And the, my husband's an early guy. He does everything. He starts early and he starts everything else even earlier. I think they were learning <laughs> at like 5 a.m several times a week. You know, he started learning with him. I started learning with his wife, Esty. And, you know, I just felt this world open up. I felt that this religion that I thought was very flat was actually very dynamic and beautiful and deep. It was really exciting. It was exciting for me as the way I had grown up and it was exciting for him. And I remember that one of the meetings that I had with my reform rabbi, just going back for a second, when my husband was going through the conversion, he sat me down and he said, look, he said, you grew up here, you know, you got dropped off and picked up and there wasn't a whole lot of ritual in between. He said, your husband's giving, your your fiance is giving up a lot and you have to fill it with something. You can't just give him nothing. I think that was one of the most impactful things any rabbi has ever said to me, you know, and that was from my reform rabbi. So I think that at that point, you know, as we were learning more and seeing a more traditional side of Judaism, it really was starting to fill in a lot of those gaps for both of us and creating a pathway to incorporate Judaism more into our everyday life rather than just something we did on the side. That's actually something I was just going to ask you because you said you're both starting to learn. Are you coming from a place of, I'm curious, I'm just trying to acquire knowledge? Because you also start to learn things that you realize, oh, I'm hearing something right now that could be incorporated into my lifestyle. But that's like a whole different level to go from learning out of curiosity to, oh, there's things here I might want to change about my life. So like, where are you at in this point as you're both doing all this studying? If I heard something that made sense to me and we heard something that made sense to us as a family, there was really no barriers in the way that we approached it. And I think that's ultimately how we ended up where we did because we just took everything as it came and we didn't look at the big picture too much at any one given time. I mean, if we had, we would have run for the hills, you know. <laughs> but we just <laughs> you would have been overwhelmed. It would have. It was totally overwhelming. And I think that's also the beauty of a of a great care of rabbi is that their goal isn't the big picture at the end. I mean, their metric is not 
trying to make you from. The goal is to connect you to your Judaism, increase the Jewish character of your family, and expose you to the idea so that you can decide what you want to do. So you know what's out there for you. So I mean, and in the beginning, it was more intellectual and spiritual and not so much ritual. You know, so we weren't even looking at making changes. We were just changing the way we saw the world a little bit. And that was very exciting. So then how does it cross over? Because at some point, there's like a baseline of things, eating kosher, keeping Shabbos, like these steps. So at some point, it has to cross over from this intellectual exercise into a way you're going to live your life. So is there a point where the conversation with you and your husband shifts to actually adopting some of these things? And, and if so, like, what's the first thing that you, you take on at that point? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, I think what happens with a lot of people who turn more into religion is often is some kind of tragic or difficult event in life um, where you kind of are forced to take stock. And at that point in time, we had been trying to have our third child. Thank God she's with us. Her name is Josephine. She's amazing. And we were having a lot of, we had a lot of difficulty becoming pregnant. We had a lot of difficulty with pregnancy loss. And I finally was able to successfully become pregnant. And actually I was pregnant with twins. It was really exciting. We were so grateful, so excited. And around the end of the first trimester, heading into the second trimester, I lost one of the babies. I was grief stricken and I was terrified. So, I mean, on one hand, I had this tremendous, tremendous loss. And on the other hand, I was being, you know, told that the other pregnancy was in peril. And I remember I had my regular learning session with Esty and Simcoe was also there. They were both there together to talk to me and comfort me. And I just remember feeling like there was nothing I could do. And Esty suggested to me that I start to light Chavez candles. She said, you know, every week you should try to light them on time. If you can't light them on time, it's fine. If you light them on time, it's better. And don't worry about anything else. You know, just try to do that. And it's a special time you can pray for the baby. And it was a great suggestion. It was such a great suggestion in so many ways uh, because it was a weekly marker. So every week that went by was another week that I was closer to, you know, having the baby. Another week that was successful in, in carrying the baby. It was a great thing for me to put on my calendar. I did. I really did it on time every single week. And even if we lit the candles, I mean, we didn't necessarily even do kiddish. We might light the candles and then go to a movie. It was really, really important to me and something that I took on very seriously. And that was sort of the beginning of the observance part of our transition. It was just that little trans, that little thing, you know, and, and honestly, I mean, that's how most of our journey went from there were really almost micro steps in that in that direction um and so light we were you know very much just lighting the candles i remember um even after she was born i think by the time she was born we probably had moved into some of friday night at home where we would do kiddush and have dinner you know we tended to put away our phones but we were not careful about lights and using the oven and all those kinds of things. But we definitely were starting to make Shabbat a separate part of our week in a small way. And as far as, you know, the kosher and the Shabbos, that actually came quite a bit later for us. 
So I think that's a tricky part for people's journeys, because when you start having like one foot in the secular world and one in the religious world, like it usually comes to a head at some point. Because like, I can remember with, with my wife, we weren't yet living in a Jewish community. And you're, you're faced with different things, like you said, TV, going to movies, and, and you start to feel almost like a, a guilt when you do some of these things, because now you, you know that maybe you shouldn't be doing it. And if you do it, you're like, uh, was that a good call? And the longer that this goes on, like for me and my wife, like the more uncomfortable we, we became and got to a point of, I think we're going to have to pick one of these two lifestyles at some point. So like, did it come to a head for you at some point also? I never envisioned myself being what I would consider a religious Jew. Although I don't really like that word. I'm trying not to use it. But an observant Jew. I know, even at that point, I didn't. I just saw us as enriching our Jewish life. And we also both went on Israel trips over that time period. And we were really okay where we were. I didn't feel that push-pull kind of feeling. Over time, we would get to points where we would feel that. Instead of seeing that as a negative thing, I always saw that that's the voice telling me it's time to think about what we're doing and reevaluate. Of course, I knew that shrimp wasn't kosher, right? I mean, you know that. Every, you know that pepperoni pizza is not kosher. But there's a point in your life where you know that and you eat pizza, you know. But there's a knowing that's, it's like a deeper knowing. It's like, I have this relationship with Hashem and this is not what he wants me to be doing. And I'm doing something that's not good for me. So we experienced that feeling at different points in time. Kosher was actually the next thing that we tackled because kosher is very technical. And even though it does affect relationships, I mean, it makes it hard to eat with other people. In a way, it's also a very sort of internal and private thing as well. We started getting rid of the food in our house that wasn't kosher and buying only kosher food. We still were not careful with milk and meat even. Then over time, you know, we started eating kosher style. So, you know, we had one set of dishes, one set of pots and pans, but we would keep things separate. Um, You know, we wouldn't eat milk and meat together. And then I made the transition to only buying kosher meat. And I think that was a big turning point. When I remember I was in the kosher market and I was putting an $80 roast into my basket. <laughs> and I thought, this just doesn't make sense. I'm going to buy this $80 roast. I'm going to go home and mm-hmm. make it in a trafe pot. I can't do this. <laughs> you know, it makes no sense. And I mean, really, that's how we approached it. At that moment, I, I, I had the cognitive dissonance. It didn't make sense to me. And then we made the change. So I remember my husband saying, you know, I don't really know if I want to do this kosher thing because I feel like I'm not going to be able to eat what I want to eat. I'm like, honey, we've been doing this for two years. You are, you're already eating that way. You're not even going to notice the difference. You know, I mentioned my family that became religious. I had started to reconnect with them, obviously, as I, we were going through this. They were a great resource to us. And it was a real opportunity for us to reconnect. And just to note, if anyone's planning on kosher in their kitchen, after the Hagim until Hanukkah is the biggest lull in the Jewish calendar. So you can get tons of help <laughs> from your friends. Um, so that's what we did. We, we koshered the kitchen with the intention of having everyone for Thanksgiving. And we did. And it was, it was wonderful. Wait, when you say you had everyone, you had the religious extended family and your immediate family that you, you mentioned had been sort of like estranged at different times. Yes. Did, so did you becoming observant? That was kind of a way of reconnecting these pieces of your family? Yeah, I think in a sense it was. I mean, it was really nice just to see everybody, especially on a non-Jewish holiday, that it was the perfect holiday to have everyone because there were no issues about phones, there was no issues about driving, we'd have to start at a certain time. It was very chill and relaxed. And it was really nice. Everybody had a wonderful time 
schmoozed, reconnected. We did become, I think, a bridge in the family. And we were able to host several other events where we invited everybody to. And I think it, it was really beautiful. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're saying it that way because I would think that your immediate family could have had a reaction as you become observant, like, oh no, here we go again. Didn't you see what happened when you were growing up when your aunt, you know, went in this direction? Now you're doing this to us also. Right. So it could have been like like round two of all the same tension, but it sounds like Thanksgiving magically overcame all that and kind of gave you all a fresh start as a family. Right. I mean, I think there was probably a combination of both things going on. And a lot of Jewish people will say holidays are about the family being together. And that's a statement that, you know, they feel is universally true. And that's not necessarily true. Holidays are about what the holiday's about also. And um, we wouldn't compromise our observance of the holiday for the sake of the family always being together. And I think that was probably the hardest mind shift for everyone to make and that it wasn't a rejection of the family, but that we can't go to a second night Seder that's 35 minutes away that isn't kosher on Passover. We just can't. It's just not something we can do because Passover is actually about Passover and we have to observe that holiday and we'd love to be with you. And so what we ended up honestly doing was we started hosting almost everything at our house. It just made it made everything a lot, a lot easier. And we did everything that we could and we still do. Did you get the news at some point along the way that this conversion that you did many years ago maybe wasn't quite kosher and you have to do another step at this point? Like, where does that story happen? I mean, so for me, I always saw him as Jewish. And even our our rabbi would say, I I totally see you as Jewish, but there's this thing called halacha and it's technical and it is what it is. At the point that it really became an issue, I mean, we were already Shomer Shabbat. I mean, that's actually a funny story if you want to to hear how we actually finally became Shomer Shabbat. Sure. Um, you know, people often have these roadblocks. Everyone has roadblocks in their mind. I can't do this because this, you know. And for us, our roadblock was my daughter's dance uh, involvement. My daughter was in competitive dance. She had dance on Saturdays. She had competitions on Saturdays. We had to take her places on Saturdays. And so in my mind, it was always, we can do so much. And we can do, we were Friday night Shabbat people. But on Saturday, we have dance, you know. And so that was always like, as long as we have dance, we're never going to be Shomer Shabbat. And, um, you know, I think what we ended up doing is we kind of just said, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to be Friday night Shabbat. And the dance thing just kind of worked itself out. We were in a carpool, so I would drive during the week and she got rides. I didn't tell her she couldn't dance. I never told her that. She got rides on Saturdays. I mean, there were times she walked five miles home of her own volition. And the kids were really bought into it. And that was really a blessing for us. We didn't have a lot of fight with the kids. And then eventually she said, you know what, I feel like I'm missing out on Shabbat. And she eventually gave up dance on her own. And that was really the most amazing thing we could have asked for because um, it came from her, not from us. So, you know, I always tell people, if you think there's a stumbling block, just don't worry about it. Like just put it to the side, do what you want to do, and then you'll figure it out along the road. Don't let it stop you from moving ahead. Yeah, that story could have turned out a lot differently if you had forbidden her from dancing and how she might have taken that and and resented the whole thing. It could have given her like a whole different feeling about religion. Absolutely. And the truth is now, I mean, she's she's gone through her own transformation. Now, Baruch Hashem, she's going to Israel for the year to study after high school. She's very involved with NCSY. She's learning every day. I mean, she's been amazing. And I think that so much of that in, in all of our kids was that we did not push them. 
and we were honest and we were earnest and we shared our own challenges with them and um, we did it as a family. But I also said in the intro that you ended up in Houston, but which which seems strange to me because it seems like everything's coming together in Detroit. So how does your story go to Houston after that? We were very settled into our our lifestyle there, and we had made a ton of friends in the from community. What was really nice about Detroit is that the more mixed and secular community and the from community are are geographically right next to each other. So there's a lot of mixing, a lot of opportunities to interact with different kinds of people. And it just happened that my husband's job moved us here. And Houston is a fantastic Jewish community. And we live in a, a modern Orthodox community now. It's a one shul, one school community, very close knit. And we came here just as us. I mean, there was no baggage. There was no history. Um, we were just who we were. We didn't have any explaining to do to anybody. And that was an amazing, actual fresh start for us. And, you know, it was hard. My, my daughter was in high school. My kids were, you know, already a bit older, but the community absolutely enveloped us. And it gave my kids a much richer Shabbos experience. All of our neighbors are out on Saturday and we go to, you know, everyone's at each other's house for meals. And it's a very, very close community. And it's, it's just been such a boost for us and for the kids. So before we jump to the lightning round to close out the interview, just give me a sense of uh, what's on your bucket list from a from a Jewish standpoint going forward now that you're settled in Houston. Like, what, what are you focused on? What do you want for your family, your kids, et cetera? I mean, I think that our challenge now is to continue to grow because we are sort of in this place of we're kosher, we're Shomer Shabbat, we live in a Jewish community, and it's easy to coast um, at that point. And I think that's the biggest challenge, to stay inspired, to stay growing, you know, I, I hear these stories all the time of people who had some life experience or they met some rabbi or they went to Israel and the end of the story goes, and now they're from. And like, I just like never understood that because for us, it's been 10, 12 years of these micro steps and we're still going. And I, I even say now, you know, it might not be this generation. It might be the next generation or even the next generation that moves in the right direction. But I feel like you know, if there's a line that's the truth and the way things should be, and then if your line moves just a little bit closer to that line and you keep moving in the same direction, those lines are eventually going to intersect, you know? So it might take, you know, my kids or my kids' kids, and they have a real love for Judaism. And I just hope that, that it continues and they continue in this beautiful life because I, I think it is an amazing way to live. So that's where we're headed. And a nice advertisement for uh, becoming Orthodox. So well said. And by <laughs> the way, you. now that I've done like so many of these interviews, more of the stories are longer term journeys than you would think. It's just that we live in this age where you get information like with such immediacy that people are sometimes telling the story like, I had this experience and I became religious. But there's often a number of years in between those those two yeah. bookends. So I think there are more stories similar to yours than you might even realize. Yeah. And I think it's really important to give yourself that grace and that time because if you, you know, and there have been points in time where we knew we went a little too far and it, it didn't work. And we were very open to stepping back. And sometimes it's okay to live in that discomfort a little bit until you're ready to make the change. So it's been a, always moving forward, but occasionally taking a step back and trying it another way or trying it at another time. You can't go through this and not have that attitude or you're going to really have a hard time. Okay, so you ready? We're going to jump into the lightning round now. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so I have a guess of what your answer might be to this, but I want to ask it anyway. As someone who lived in Miami, Detroit, and Houston, who has the best kosher food? So ironically, it definitely is Miami, but I didn't know that until I went back there. <laughs> 
when we lived in Miami, we were not religious. And we went back to, we're like, I can't believe this is right under our nose. Like we went for a weekend, we ate at every restaurant. It was amazing. The best food in Miami. And I'll spare you from telling me who comes in third and we'll move on to the next question. <laughs> so from these different places you live, did you pick up any unique Shabbos dishes that you now make that like come from the part of the country that you were living in? In Detroit, I learned to make chalant because it's cold. And here in Houston, I think I've made it like two times because it's just, you can't walk in sweating and eat chalant. Like you just can't do it. And I make chicken soup every week, no matter what. My kids <laughs> will not have it any other way. <laughs> and also we talked in your story about your husband converting and you becoming more religious. And you both said that you had done a lot of studying. Yes. So is there a particular book or something that you learned that really jumps out as something that someone else who's maybe at the beginning of their own journey should consider reading as well? So the book from my husband, the books that had the most impact on him, and he, he recommends to everyone, is the Art Scroll series, A Daily Dose of Torah. It's like two or three pages, maybe 15 minutes a day. He learned a ton from that. And in the beginning, I read those permission to receive, permission to believe. You know, mm -hmm. If you're a really intellectual person, I think that helps you get over the hurdle of blind faith, which you know, you realize it's not really blind faith at all. And those books had an impact on me early on. Okay. And last question. Uh, you mentioned the interview a bunch of times in different ways, how you had to navigate various tensions with family. So what's your best advice to someone who's on their own journey and is having some of these issues with family? What's the best way to approach it? I mean, I think you have to meet people where they are and always try to approach it with love and kindness and try to understand that where you are in your headspace is not necessarily where everyone else is. Try to do everything you can that still honors your own beliefs and always tell people that, you know, you love and care about them and try to be honest. I think that's the, the best way. Excellent advice. And that is your ticket out of the lightning round. So Rachel, I want to just say thank you so much for joining me on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit taklismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at taklismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.